Blessed are you, Adonai our God, King of the universe, who has sanctified us with his commandments and has commanded us to engross ourselves in the words of Torah. Please, Adonai our God, sweeten the words you have told in our mouth and the mouth of your people, the house of Israel. May we and our offspring and the offspring of your people, the house of Israel, all of us know your name and study your Torah for its own sake. Blessed are you, Adonai, who teaches Torah to his people, Israel. Amen. Chapter 15. After these events, the word of Adonai came to Avram in a vision, saying, Fear not, Avraham, Avram. I am a shield for you. Your reward is very great. And Avram said, My Lord, Adonai Elohim, what can you give me, seeing that I go childless, and the steward of my house is the Damascus Eliezer? Then Avram said, See, to me you have given no offspring, and see, my steward inherits me. Suddenly the word of Adonai came to him, saying, that one, will, this, that one will not inherit you. Only him that shall come forth from within you shall inherit you. And he took him outside and said, Gaze now toward the heavens and count the stars if you are able to count them. And he said to, to him, So shall your offspring be. And he trusted in Adonai and reckoned it to him as righteousness. He said to him, I am Adonai who brought you out of Erechazdim, to give you this land to inherit it. He said, My Lord, Adonai Elohim, whereby shall I know that I am to inherit it? And he said to him, Take to me three heifers, three goats, three rams, a turtle dove, and a young dove. He took all these to him. He cut them in, in the center and placed each piece opposite its counterpart. The birds, however, he did not cut up. Birds of prey descended upon the carcasses, and Avram drove them away. But it happened as the sun was about to set, a deep sleep fell upon Avram, and behold, a dread, great darkness fell upon him. And he said to Avram, Know with certainty that your offspring shall be aliens in a land, not their own, and they will serve them, and they will oppress them four hundred years. But also the nations that they serve I shall judge, and afterwards they will leave with great wealth. As for you, you shall come to your ancestors in Shalom. You shall be buried in a, great old, in a good old age. And the fourth generation shall return here, for the iniquity of the Amorite shall not, shall not yet be full until then. So it happened, the sun set, it was very dark, and behold, there was a smoking furnace and a lapid of fire, which passed between the pieces. On that day, Adonai made a covenant with Avram, saying, To your descendants have I given this land, from the river of Egypt to the great river, the Euphrates River, the Kenite, the Kizanite, the Kadmonite, the Hittite, the Pezrite, and the Rephaim, the Amorite, the Canaanite, the Gershashite, and the Jezusite. That's the end of the reading of 15. I said on the Aliyah day that it's, um, it's been remarkable this year as we've gone through the book of Breshit, how the readings from Breshit have corresponded with the uh, weekly power shot. Very often, that was not that was not intentional, not, not on my part anyway. I didn't plan it that way. I simply divided up the book of Genesis so that it would work with all the parashot. God did something um, more. So it's interesting that we've been reading the parashah Bo talking about the Exodus from Mitzrayim, and I mentioned that this this 
chapter in the Torah is where Hashem is telling Abraham about the exodus from Mitzrayim, from Egypt. Well, it goes a little bit deeper than that. Rabbi Monk brings down that it says here, on that day, by Yom Hahu, Rabbi Monk points out that it was on the 15th of Nisan, the day of the exodus from Egypt, a day of glory for Jewry, when the patriarch heard the historical promise concerning the Holy Land. In other words, it was the 15th of Nisan when the covenant between the parts took place. It says here, later when the Jewish people is about to leave Egypt, the Torah will say at the end of 430 years on that selfsame day, Exodus 12:41. And Rashi notes, this teaches us that when the time came, God did not delay their freedom even for an instant. Now on the 15th of Nisan, the angels had come to Abraham to bring him the good news. And on the 15th of Nisan, Isaac was born. And on the 15th of Nisan, the covenant between the parts was made. And on the 15th of Nisan, here we are, free. You know, if Hashem is this particular about his word, then we ought to be as particular. He's particular about what he, how he fulfills his word, and we likewise should be as particular. We read in this, this verse about the torch. The word torch here in the, in the Torah is the word lapid. As I, as I said, it's the first time uh, it's mentioned. If you want to learn more about the, the, the name lapid itself, some of you are aware that Mikhail Nicholson uh, did a, a video about this. And he actually went through each and every time the word uh, lapid is used and what the meanings are there it's very very good and you should you should uh, look at it it's on the uh, U- the Lapid Judaism YouTube page Lapid equals a manifestation of Hashem Lapid equals a manifestation of Hashem it says here the smoking furnace in this commentary from Rabbi Monk it says the smoking furnace and the flaming torch which appeared to Avram parallel Mount Sinai altogether on smoke because God had descended upon it in the midst of flame and its smoke ascended like the smoke of a furnace, Exodus 19, 18. So we have the, the lapid in the, in, the, in the smoking pot, as it were. We have a picture of Mount Sinai about, we have a picture of the Torah. So the lapid and the smoking furnace, as it's called, is a picture of the living Torah made manifest among us. It says, so too here the divine majesty, listen to this, the divine majesty descended in a lapid of flame and amid a furnace of smoke and passed between the pieces to ratify the covenant with Avram. It's saying here that the lapid, the torch, was the manifestation of, of the divine majesty, and it was the manifestation of divine majesty that cut the covenant with Abraham. It goes on to say in this revelation, the patriarch sees the promulgation of the Torah on Mount Sinai and the sacrifices to be offered in the temple in Jerusalem. So he's seeing here, this is also very interesting, because he's seeing in this vision a great many things that's being said about uh, to Avram from Hashem. But one of the things he's being shown here, amongst everything else, is that the promulgation of the Torah is going to go forth from Sinai, and that there will be sacrifices in the temple, and all of this is going to teach the world 
the Torah. Part of the covenant of the parts vision given to, Mo, to Abraham was that the whole world was going to see the Torah from this place. We're going to speak more about this in just a moment, but it's interesting. Well, we'll come to that in a second. Here it is. He says, but at the opposite extreme. So on the one hand, it says here he's, going to, he's been shown that the Torah is going to go out from the whole world. I want you to notice when you're studying Judaism, and how many of you know that the Bible is a Jewish book, right? It's written in Hebrew by Jewish people. Okay, and the Messiah is Jewish, and all the apostles are Jewish. All the heroes of the Bible, every, every single one of them are Jewish people. So it's important if we're going to study the Word of God, it seems to me that what really matters is Jewish thought. Right? I mean, do you really want a Russian teaching you about the 4th of July? I'm just asking. Suppose they never lived here. They never went to school here. They never lived here. They read online about the 4th of July. If you're going to go learn about American history in the 4th of July and why we fought the Germans to win our independence, <laughs> I'm just checking. Just checking. Some of y'all are like, that's right. <laughs> that's what Holocaust Remembrance Day is all about. But do you really want to go learn that from a Russian? Right? It's true. Don't ever try to learn about Judaism from people who don't practice Judaism. It happens all the time. It happens all the time. And I'm not trying to be necessarily harsh or critical, but people will say, well, Pastor so-and-so told me that Jews believe this. And I, sometimes I hear the craziest things, cray-cray stuff. But it's just, it's just because people don't pray. It's really hard to teach something you don't practice. I cannot play basketball. I don't ever play basketball. And uh, so therefore I don't teach it. Because you don't want to learn it from me. So two here, it, it says, it goes on to say, but there's another side of this. So the word of God is going to go out. So you need to learn something about when Judaism talks about the Torah, that Torah is centric to everything. And there's only two kingdoms. There's only two covenants that exist. Only There's only one covenant, really. But there's only two kingdoms. You're either in the covenant, and therefore you're in the kingdom of light, or you're not. There's no other option. There's only two kind of people in the world. Only two kind of people in the world. Those who like Barry Manilow and those who don't. No, I'm just kidding. Only two kind of people in the world. Seriously, though. Only two kind of people in the world. There's Jews and non-Jews, period. Doesn't matter the color of your skin, doesn't mean, matter your accent, doesn't matter your language, doesn't mean where you were born. You're either a Jew or you're not. And to be a Jew is to be in the covenant. Now, no, you know, you say, well, if God wanted you to be a Jew, then uh, he, you would have been born a Jew. Tell that to Abraham. Tell that to Ruth. Tell that to Rahab. Tell that to Obadiah the prophet. Tell that to Rabbi Mir. Tell that to Rabbi Akiva. God wants you to be in the covenant. He's going to bring you into the covenant one way or the other. Don't you know that God can, can birth you into it or he can birth you into it? Birth you into it supernaturally, birth you into it naturally. Either way, we all enter, enter the covenant the same, the same way. We all come into the covenant the same way. You know, there was a, there was a woman who had a, a, gave birth to uh, a baby boy during the Holocaust. 
I believe it was. And she was, of course, circumcision was, was forbidden and all of that, but she was going to go ahead and circumcise her little boy because she said, if we're going to die, at least he's going to die a Jew. But wait a minute. She gave birth to this little boy. So if he's circumcised or uncircumcised, he's still going to die a Jew, right? No. Because we all have to enter the covenant the same way. The scripture says in Ezekiel, by your blood live, by your blood live. That means the blood of the lamb and the blood of the circumcision of the covenant. There's no free lunch in life, but we're going to get to that in a second. It says here, but at the same opposite extreme, this same vision can symbolize hell's purgatory or the flames rising from the stacks which foreign kings erect to torture the descendants of Avram. Avram understood either the, either the Torah and the temple or hell and the horrors of exile under the tyranny of hostile powers. Did you catch, did you catch that? Avram understood is either the hell is either going to be the Torah in the temple or hell in exile. That's our options. That's what we have before us. Little little Susie comes to the table. Daddy, what are we having for supper tonight, honey? We're having beef stew. I don't want beef stew. You either have beef stew or you have fast. That's your choice. No, I want mom make me pizza. Oh no no no. So you don't understand. You thought there was a third option. You're turning Baptist on me. Listen. You have beef stew, or you have a, your own personal Yom Kippur. It's amazing how when you offer those choices, the children tend to go for the stew. As long as you keep giving somebody a third option, or a fourth option, or a fifth option, they'll never get the meal intended for them. I just went right by you like a, like a Lamborghini on the Autobahn. God and we, the parent intended the child to have the healthy stew. The child shows up and naturally the Yetzirah wants something. I, I don't want that. I want uh, pizza. I don't I want, I want corny dog. Okay, honey, let me make you a pizza. Now, wait a minute. You made them the healthy pot of stew for their benefit, but as long as you keep giving them another option, they'll never eat what you intended for them to have. You know, that's what got all this started, talking about the anniversary of Sar Shalom. It just occurred to me. We had a congregation before this. It was kind of messy. It's called Heritage Fellowship. It was holy, holy, holy. And it wasn't... Um, wasn't, you know, it wasn't as successful as I thought it should be, you know. So I was having a pity party one day. It's called prayer. And Rebecca and I, at the time, were, you know, we were doing Arab Shabbat. And I had a, I've had a kippah and a talik gadol and a shofar and all that stuff since 1997. But it was hidden away because it was a hidden revelation. So, we weren't doing, we were doing, we, we had, uh, listen, Katura could tell you, she's been with me for like 105 years. She can tell you we had Passover seders, and we did some stuff like that, but, you know, it was on the down low. 
because we're trying to be relevant to people. That worked so well. And so I was having a, I was having a you know, prayer time with Hashem and just crying my heart out. And why, Hashem, what's going on? How come it's not working so well? And I'll never forget, you know, there's some points in time where Hashem speaks to you clearly and you know that he's spoken to you. It's not like every day, like some people who are kind of cuckoo, say they're going, God spoke to me every, every morning. Um, okay. Uh, but there's points in time where God does speak to you and you're like, okay, that was Hashem. And Hashem says, uh, he said to me, he goes, the reason you're not having success is because you're not serving the meal I gave you to serve. You're trying to serve somebody else's meal. You're looking around at what everybody else is eating in the lunch line. You're thinking, well, they like that. I think I'll serve that. And God says, I, I, didn't, I didn't make for them pizza. I made for them stew. That's what God, Sar Shalom started. It was that day and that word from Hashem that made me change everything. So we have two options. We have the temple and the sacrifice, or we've got hell and exile. Unfortunately, we very often choose hell and exile. Forsaking the Torah or the temple by jewelry will have to bring with it a heavenly punishment, either Olam Haba, the world to come with its afflictions of hell, or the Olam Hazeh, that is this world, through hardship and suffering at the hands of the nations of the world. There were two options that we had to choose from when it came time for our demise. And Abram actually right here, the Midrash Shabbat brings down, that Abraham had to make that choice right here. God said, listen, your, your, your children are going to sin. They're going to forsake the Torah. They're going to forsake the sacrifices. What do you want to happen? You've got two options. Door number one is Gehenna, hell. Door number two is exile. Which one do you want? Now, exile is obviously the easier option on the, on the children, right? It's the easier option than Gehenna. However, to go into exile would bring a Chalul Hashem, a, a desecration of the name of God, because we would be telling the whole world that we, number one, rejected our king, and number two, he did not have the power to transform us. So the Midrash Rabbah brings down that Abraham, as a result of his love for God and his desire to not have a chaluch Hashem, he said, God, give us Gehenna. And Hashem said, nope, take exile. Because now that I know that your love for me is so great that you consider my name a greater honor than the pain of your children, I'm going to give you exile as an act of mercy so that, A, you don't have to endure Gehenna, and, B, you can bring in the nations. So God is willing. Do you know, catch this? Hashem was willing for his name to, to be desecrated in order to save that which was lost. See, he was willing to have somebody slap him and say, prophesy to us, Rabbi, who is hitting you. He was willing to have people mock him and spit at him. He was willing to be drugged out and crucified when he could have annihilated the whole universe in one word just so the whole world could have the opportunity to embrace the covenant. Likewise, see, it was Abraham who was willing to lose everything 
in the form of his son just to show God's name honor. All the hopes and dreams that Abraham had were wrapped up in Isaac. And that was his tenth and final test. And because it was Megid, kinetic Megid, that he would say, listen, because you were willing to put all your hopes and dreams on the table, I'm not going to make you do that. Rabbi Bakya says this is, this is also deeper meaning of these words. God con- concluded a covenant with Abraham. The idea is that God made the Shekinah, which represents the covenant, pass between the pieces. In other words, we know that the, tor- the torch passed between the pieces. So Rabbeinu Bakia here is here saying that it was the Shekinah that passed between the pieces. Now wait a minute, the torch, Lapid, is the name of the Mashiach. Did the Mashiach pass between the pieces? Did the torch pass between the pieces? Or did the Shekinah pass between the pieces? And the answer is yes. Now, I said that Abraham saw that the whole wide world, or excuse me, that the Torah, rather, was going to go out from Mount Moriah to the whole wide world. Now, it says in the Midrash Rabbah, chapter 44, Simon 1. After these events, the word of Adonai came to Abram in a vision, saying, Fear not, Abram, I am a shield for you. Your reward is very great. God, his path, say path. His path is perfect. Now, let me ask you a question. When you go to, um, I've, my father and I, when I was a teenager, my dad and I used to go uh, hiking all the time. We do like that overnight hiking stuff where you hike up to the top of the mountain, stay overnight, and then come back down the next day. We went all over the place. We went to Yellowstone. We went to uh, Sequoia. We went to, uh, you know, uh, Yosemite. Uh, Rocky Mountains, uh, Davis Mountains. Uh, my, my, my father and I did that a lot. I loved it growing up. It was my favorite thing to do was to go to the mountains and, and go hiking. But you go to these mountains and you go hiking. There's huge mountain ranges, right? These huge, gigantic mountains. There are paths that are created, hiking trails. Now, I'm gonna, uh, you're going to want to stay on the, on the, on the trail, Right? If you get off the path, that's when they have to have a five-day search to come find your frozen body somewhere. Why? Because you got off the path. You went to go look at the pretty waterfall a mile away and then couldn't find your way back to the path and now you're freezing out there with the grizzly bears. So they, the, the rangers always should t- tell you, you know, stay, stay on the path. Stay inside of each other and, you know, and all that kind of stuff. They went to Yellowstone. It's even more important because there are grizzly bears in Yellowstone. My dad always likes to tell a funny story about that, how I was such a brave young boy that whatever, how old I was, 15, the ranger told me that we had to go, in Yellowstone, you have to go watch a class before you do that kind of stuff at the ranger station because they have so many people who get mauled by bears and bison and all kind of stuff. So I had to go watch the class, and so they, they said in the class, they said, you know, just make noise so that you don't startle a grizzly bear. You turn a corner, you startle a grizzly bear, you're done. Just make noise. It rubs some, you know, hit some sticks, whatever. As my dad said, that whole trip 
hiking. I was hitting trees with my sticks, mouse on rocks. I was singing, woo, we come in. <laughs> my dad said he laughed and laughed and laughed because I was just making, making so much noise. My grandfather used to tell a joke about that. He said these two men came upon a, upon a grizzly bear. They started to run. One of his buddies stopped and started to get his running shoes out of his backpack. His buddy said, what are you doing, man? You can't outrun a grizzly bear. He says, no, but I can outrun you. <laughs> so God, God's path is perfect. The word about an eye is purified. He is a shield for all who take refuge in him, Psalm 18.31. It says, with respect to the opening clause of the verse, the Midrash comments, if his paths are perfect, how much more so is he perfect? Rob said the comments were given only in order to purify mankind, excuse me, not comments, commandments, I'm sorry. The commandments were given only in order to purify mankind through them. So the point of Torah is purification. The point of Torah is to be like a mikvah for us. And this is the path. You have to understand that Torah is the path of Hashem. The, the world is the mountain range. The world is Yosemite. The, more, the world is Kings Canyon and Sequoia. And the path, in order to make it through the world, to make it through the mountains, in order to make it to the summit, you have to follow the path. And if you get off the path, you're going to end up frozen to death. It says, in Isaiah 2, 3, it says, Then many peoples will come. Say many peoples. <laughs> now, people here is talking about human beings. Many peoples will come will go rather and say, come, let us go up to the mountain of Adonai, to the house of the God of Jacob. Then he will teach us his ways and we will walk in his paths. For Torah will go forth from Zion and the word of Adonai from Jerusalem. Now what's remarkable is that every single time the Torah comes forth, in synagogues all over the world, for thousands of years, we bring forth the Torah and we sing this song. We sing the Vahibin Soa. We sing this song. And I want you to understand the magnitude of that. In every synagogue all over the world, when we bring out the Torah, we sing this traditional song that says, For the Torah will go out from Zion, the word of Adonai for Jerusalem. We are singing in our synagogues about converts coming to learn Torah. And even in so-called Messianic synagogues where they don't believe in the Torah or converts, they also sing this song, Remarkable to me that people that are against rabbinic Judaism practice rabbinic Judaism. That says that the whole wide world is going to come to Jerusalem to do what? To learn Torah. Now, learning Torah is not Noahide. Learning Torah is not Messianic Gentile. Learning Torah is learning Judaism. And we sing this song you have to understand, in every synagogue, every Orthodox synagogue, 
all over the world. We are singing the song as a prayer and a declaration that one day the whole world will be here with us learning Torah. That's the path to Hashem. It says that this, this term, it says right here in the footnotes of the Midrash Rabbah, that the, the term His path refers to the words of Torah. It says that the Torah refines us. It talks about the fact that it says here, in fact, in, in the Midrash, for of what concern is it to the holy and blessed be he whether or not or whether one slaughters an animal from the front of the neck as required by the Torah or from the back of the neck? Surely none at all. Hence it must be concluded that the commandments were given only in order to purify mankind through them. In other words, this is where people get messed up in their thinking because they, they, they approach the word of God from a Greco-Roman mindset. They approach the word of God from let's throw the virgin into the volcano. That we've got to serve God. See, the Greco-Roman mindset says I'm going to serve God in order to appease God because God needs something from me. God says, I don't need anything from you. I gave you a holy Torah so that you could be a better person, so that you could be refined, so that you could be purified. I'm already purified, God says. I'm already purified. I'm already perfect. See, the scripture says the Torah makes perfect. You can't make perfect perfect. So it's for you. But we approach it and we think that we this is why people say, well, Brother, don't you know, you don't have to keep the law to be saved. That's a Roman mindset. That you have to do something. See, that's a Roman mindset. God's, again, if you watch the conversion classes, which are so good. Man, serious. You watch those, you find out that we were saved by the blood of the Lamb, mikvah in the Red Sea, chains were broken, eyes were opened, people were healed and set free, and then we got the Torah. That's the pattern. See, the word of God that came forth from Zion, the Torah rather that came forth from Zion, the word of God that came forth from Jerusalem to us, came after we were freed people. But theology and and, and the spirit of bondage and religion has taught you that the word of God came to you first and that was your bondage and he wants you to get free of his own word that he gave you. Your child comes to the table and you give him a bowl. Here's your, what's for dinner, Dad? Stew. May I have some? Yeah, I made it for you. Here you go. He starts to take it. Bite of it. No, don't eat that. I gave that to you because I wanted you to suffer. Now I'm going to take it back from you and give you some pizza. But we teach that that's we teach people about that's the word of God. God gave us a Torah so that He could free us from it. Think about that. That what would you what would happen to a judge if he set you up to commit a crime and then came back to convict you of it? 
No, no, no. Stay with me now. The judge set you up and encouraged you and facilitated your armed robbery. And once you commit the armed robbery, you go back before that same judge and he sends you to prison for 25 years for it. In what universe would that, li- would that, ex- would that happen? None. Not if it was a just court. Not if it was not some kind of kangaroo thing going on, some kind of weird, right? So, but we, we accuse God of that all the time. God, you gave us your Torah, yes. But your Torah led me to sin, yes. And as a result, I'm, you're going to send me to hell for it, yes. You're such a great, awesome, just God. No, that's stupid. How about this? How about I gave you my law, and you chose to break it, to break, to, you chose to break it, and as a result of your choice to break it, you deserve to go to prison for it. But I'm going to forgive you of your sin of breaking the law, wipe away your sentence, and I'm going to charge you, now go forth now and don't commit armed robbery again. Now that's a just judge. That makes total sense. And it doesn't create millennials. No, no, we have millennials because of our theology. We teach people that it's not your fault. It's not your fault. Honey, I I don't blame you for robbing that bank. Who needs to work and have a job anyway? You deserve nice things. You deserve that Xbox. Uh. Uh. (laughs) So it says here, the commandment concerning the proper method of slaughtering is designed to purify the character of the individual doing the act of slaughtering. Now hold on a second. Mm. Listen. What did the, the apostle said? look, you got all these Gentiles coming in. They don't know anything about anything. But they're going to come to synagogue every week and learn what? Moses. It didn't say Paul. It didn't say, it didn't say listen, here's what they're going to do because Paul is being preached in the synagogue every Shabbat. Did it say that? I missed that. Did it say that? No. It said Moses is being preached. You know, when, when Yeshua was on the road to Emmaus, and he was trying to open the blind eyes of the people who were depressed, it didn't say he turned to Galatians. And as he turned to Paul and showed the gospel of Romans to them, their heart burned within them. That's not what it said. It said he turned to Moses. And so the, 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 the apostles are saying, listen, the people that are coming into the fellowship, two of the four baseline entry things. Did you know that baseline entry means baseline entry? You know, when you join the service, do you have a baseline that you have to meet just to get in? But when you come in with the baseline, like, you know, you're the right height, you're the right weight, you don't have any serious illnesses and those kind of things, they don't just issue you a uniform and say, well, welcome to the army. 
they might in the army, but I mean, the, not, just, I'm just kidding. It's a joke. It's an inter-service joke. Just kidding. But seriously, no, you come in as a baseline, and then you go through boot camp in order to make the grade. Right? Since when, in what universe do we have people come in with the baseline requisites, and then that's where they stay. You don't enter college that way. You come into college, you've got your baseline, like I know I can, two plus two is four. Great. And then you exit college, and they just left you there. You've got now a master's degree in mathematics. Where's Haya? A master's degree in mathematics, and all you know, Haya, is two plus two equals four. Is that where, they, is that where you started? That's where you started, but that's, that's not where they left you, right? Come on. But we do that theologically all the time. Welcome. So glad you're here. Oh, come as you are. And when you die, this will be what you look like. Now, two of the four prerequisites have to do with kosher eating. Why? Why of all the mitzvot, of all the 613 mitzvahs, did the apostles tell the non-Jews who were coming in you got four things to do to get through the door, to start learning about Moses. Four things. Two of the four are eating kosher. Why? Two reasons. Number one, the sages say that eating kosher is a prerequisite for holiness. Because if you're eating non-kosher and trying to learn about Moses, ain't going to work. You've got to be eating in what God wants you in order to be transformed from the inside out. Number two, it says right here, kosher slaughter purifies and refines the individual. It, why? You say, well, God, how does it do that? There's many ways, but one of the ways is that through kosher slaughter, instead of gassing a chicken to death, or thumping an animal on the head so hard that it dies, you have to make sure that you're kosher slaughtering it, which means you have to go out of your way to make sure that that slaughter is as painless and as gentle as it possibly can be, number one. And number two, you have to understand that something is dying that you can live. It creates in you compassion. It removes a spirit of barbarism from you. Where you just want what you want because you want it right now. And that's how people live their life theologically. I want what I want because I want it right now. That's millennial theology. Nothing in life is free. Nothing in life is free. Not even grace. Sacred cows being offered up. No, it's not. You know why it's not? How many know we have freedom in the, in the United States? How many know that many people died that we could have freedom? Our freedom isn't free. We have the grace of God, but people have paid the price for that. They've paid the price. Yeshua, of course, paid the ultimate price, but, but we treat it like it's free, but it's not. And because, you know, we may not have to shed our blood, 
in the terms of like a lamb. You know, I said that we enter the covenant through the blood, in their blood live, in your blood live, from Ezekiel. And I said, you know, we have the blood of the lamb and the blood of circumcision. Some people were like, what? Um, this, I knew this was a blasphemous place. Because they said, you know, what Rabbi's teaching is you've got to be converted in order to be saved. Because you've been taught that there's two different things. That there's salvation and the conversion, and somehow they're different. It's not. Abram came in, he was Abram. When he became circumcised, he became Abraham. And the sages say he went from the natural to the supernatural. You've been taught that living by the Spirit is somehow different than living by the Word of God. The Word of God is Spirit too, right? I'm just asking. So if you live by the Torah, aren't you living by the Spirit? Because the Torah is the Word of God, right? But let's think about it. A young child or even a grown man gets circumcised. What are we talking about? We're talking about blood enough to fill up maybe a piece of gauze, a four-by-four piece of gauze. Maybe. How much blood does a lamb have? See, we, we do our little part just to show God that we're committed, and Hashem does everything else. What's the blood of circumcision from a man, even a grown man, compared to the pails of blood from a, from a lamb or a goat? Nothing. Nothing. But even still, I... Obviously, I was in the service, but I never—I was never in combat. It just didn't. I was in peacetime, so I never had to go to combat. Was willing to go, but not never had to go. So I didn't actually have to go to combat and suffer that. But at the same time, I'm—I'm I'm cognizant of the reality that I don't just get to enjoy this country and its freedom, and it's just all free. It wasn't free. There's people that are dead today and others who are injured and others who are paralyzed and so, such and so on and so forth so that I can continue to enjoy this. There's people right now that put their life on the line. They're putting their life on the line right now in the form of police officers and firefighters and other first responders so that we can keep doing this. Right now, there's people out there that have a risk being killed and on the line of duty so that you and I can be saved. So Torah is a great benefit for man. There's no free lunch. I just want to conclude with this. We have um, a statement in the Midrash Shabbat about how there's nothing free in life. That Hashem pays the ultimate price for us. And there's an analogy given of Abraham who says he's concerned because he's had, he's had this fight with the kings and he won. And he's concerned because he recognizes the reality that nothing in the world is free and that we, we store up merit in Shemayim. And when we enjoy 
benefit on, on, the, on the earth that it's collected from that heavenly account so that our heavenly account diminishes. That's, that's a mindset. And as a result, there's been righteous people throughout the ages who were a little concerned when they enjoyed a really great blessing on this earth because they were concerned, well, I, I wonder if this came out of my heavenly account or is this just grace? You know, it's just, it's just, again, it's, it's not taking things for granted. But Abraham was told by God, he said, this doesn't apply to a certain class of people. That class of people, of course, are righteous people who are in covenant. So God tells Abraham, listen, it's like a fine hotel. Food at a fine hotel is delectable, but it's also expensive. And when you go to stay at the hotel as a guest, if you get fed a meal, you have to pay for that meal. And although you enjoy it, it comes at a great price. That's how... People live. God, this world is like God's fine hotel, and he has delectable things, but people pay the price for it. But the employees of the hotel, because they serve at the pleasure of the owner of the hotel and take care of the guests, whenever they're hungry, they can go to the kitchen and they can have their fill of anything in the kitchen, and it's a part of their compensation as an employee. It's free. And so he was telling Abraham, this is you, Abraham. You are like my employee, as it says here in one of the insights. In the same vein, anyone who dedicates himself to the service of God and his Torah is considered his employee who has earned free benefits. Now, that's awesome. Who wouldn't want to be an employee of God? But Yeshua took it to the next level. Yeshua said in in Yochanan chapter 15 and 9 through 17, he says, Just as my Father has loved me, I also loved you. Abide in my love if, say if, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. Just as I kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. So we follow his example, right? It says, These things I've spoken to you so that my joy may be in you, and your joy may be full. So Yeshua is saying here, there's joy in keeping the commandments. He says, this is my commandment, that you love one another just as I loved you. No one has greater love than this, that he lay down his life for his friends. Now you are my friends if, say if, if you do what I command you. Now listen to what he says here. I'm no longer calling you servants. Or I'm going to inject the word employees. I'm no longer going to call you employees, for the employee does not know what his master is doing. Now I have called you friends, because everything I've heard from my father I've made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you. I selected you so that you would go forth and produce fruit, and that your fruit would remain. Now the word for friends here is used is is used in the Septuagint as ochayv. Rea, or in rabbinic literature as Shoshbein. And it means a friend of the bridegroom who on his behalf, as his agent, has asked the bride to marry the bridegroom and has also rendered many services to include 
closing the marriage, that is putting the marriage on and celebrating the nuptials and everything involved. In other words, this is, whereas Abraham was like an employee, Yeshua took us to the next level where we're not an employee just working for God. We're actually partners in the business. That's why we have the benefits that we have. And that's why God says, I made everything for you. It doesn't come out of your heavenly account. It comes out of my account because you are involved in what I'm involved in. And what God is involved in, if you read the Bible, is bringing Torah to the whole wide world, which is what Lapid was all about. Baruch haba b'shem Adonai. 